0: You're listening to the Choose to Be podcast with hosts Alana Gordon and Amy Wolsey. As you join us each week, we will provide you with tools, resources, and knowledge to help you navigate your healing journey. Choose recovery, choose healing, choose you.
1: Welcome to the Choose to Be podcast. Thank you all for joining our conversation. This is one of those episodes that I think is going to be really helpful, not only for you, the betrayed listener, but also for the one who is working on recovery. Either way, I think that the information we're going to share today is really important, super beneficial. And as always, drop into that awareness. Um, If it feels too heavy to do anything about it, you don't have to do anything about it. Let this be an episode of curiosity where Maybe you hear something that does resonate, and you take a week to just notice if it really is showing up for you. So, weaponizing recovery, and we're going to talk about what that looks like. And then, if you do notice this, then we're going to be giving you a couple of things to utilize tools if this is showing up for you. So, first of all, Lana, let's just dig into what the heck does that look like when you weaponize as the betrayer? When you weaponize your recovery work
0: towards your partner? Okay. Well, first of all, I want to put a disclaimer out there. I don't believe that the majority of people who weaponize recovery language are doing it consciously to cause more damage and pain. The majority aren't. There are some who do. Now, I am very concerned that even this episode is going to be weaponized because I am not talking on this episode to be partners about them weaponizing recovery. So even that can be flipped and used of saying, well, you're making this a weapon against me because the betrayed partner is saying hard things and they hurt. That can feel like a weapon, but that is not weaponizing it. So I don't even want this episode to be weaponized and used against the partner who has been betrayed. And so That's my first disclaimer is A, don't use this episode to weaponize and B, that a lot of times when this weaponizing is happening, it is coming from a place of trying to learn the tools and trying to apply them to ourself and understanding, but not having yet the skills to be able to differentiate and use it in a healthy way. And so what the heck is weaponizing recovery? It means that when we're learning new language and new skills, that it then is getting turned back onto the betrayed partner and causing them additional damage and additional pain. So this can look like, and Amy help give a few examples of this, but one example that comes to mind is if I have a couple and she's doing her work and he's doing his work and he learns about gaslighting. And when he learns about gaslighting, he learns that gaslighting, and they're trying to teach him so he can make sure that he's not doing it. They learn that gaslighting is changing the other person's reality. And so when his wife comes to him and she says something that he doesn't believe is accurate, then all of a sudden he starts accusing her of gaslighting. Well, you say this and that's not accurate. So you're gaslighting me. Which is not actually gaslighting, and go back to our episode with Sarah Morales and hear about what gaslighting is. But all of a sudden, what I see happen with my betrayed partners is they go, Oh, hold on. Wait, am I gaslighting? Am I doing it wrong? Another one that I see where recovery can be weaponized is an important part of his healing journey is him really learning about his own values and learning how to start to trust himself again and start to how to start to understand himself and show up for himself in healthy ways. But a lot of times initially that can be used in not a humble way, but a way that's very much of this is how I feel and you're not letting me be me Mm
1: -hmm. or
0: you're not seeing my recovery Mm -hmm. because my therapist or my coach says I'm supposed to be doing these things and you're not letting me. Now all of a sudden we're taking recovery, we're taking the tools, and we're weaponizing them against the partner.
1: And and I think just in general, something you said before that triggered this thought of that difference between clunky, just clunkiness, and learning the tools and learning how to acquire emotional maturity and intelligence, and learning how to, like you said, even apply all of these tools to yourself so that you can heal individually. And I see difference from what I've seen is that if it's clunkiness as opposed to weaponization, is that a word? (laughs) (laughs) So if it's clunkiness rather than weaponizing when it is brought to the betrayer's attention, it will be received. I I don't want to say well, but it will be received and he'll get curious about it rather than again weaponizing that information does that make sense yeah so it's like yeah that was clunky i didn't realize that was happening can we talk more about that i'm not seeing what you're seeing because really what we're trying to to do here with all of these concepts is be relational so if anything that either one of us are learning and developing and practicing isn't helping you to be relational it's then what are we doing like it's just going to keep pulling you apart.
0: It, you know, it makes me think of Henry Cloud's quote. One of my favorite quotes is the marks of a truly safe person is they're confrontable. Ah. And so that right there being confrontable. Now, going back to that word clunky, that doesn't mean that they're not going to have some level of defenses come up, but How quickly can they work through it and how quickly can they be a safe place for you? And this is one of those areas of really watching for patterns. Yeah, Because if the pattern is every time that they're learning something new, now they're using it against you or using it to gain more power in the situation, that's something that's going to be very problematic and needs to be addressed. Right. I was in a consultation group the other day and one of the therapists she was talking about a couple and this couple was working through healing from infidelity and she said I feel like or I'm afraid that everything that I'm teaching them or working with them on couples work he is just using that for greater power to manipulate her more and and I have thought that at different times of like oh what am I doing? And I want to be really careful with this. And I want to make sure that this is not used in a harmful way because you can have the same piece of information and depending on the filter it goes through, it can be used for good or for not. And so as I was listening to the back and forth around that, my thought was, is, well, if we are still in a place that's being actively weaponized, It's probably not a time for couples work right? because I don't want somebody to be actively hurt and actively, and this is where like my brain's like, Alana, you have to be careful because in couples work, it hurts. Even good couples work hurts. So it hurting doesn't mean that it's bad, but we have to step back and look. I like the word injury. Oh, I like that. Yeah. Injury versus hurt. Yeah. Yeah. We
1: don't want to cause further injury if we're trying to repair the relationship. And so clunky. All right. That was probably not the best way to approach that. I'm hearing you. Can we come back to and visit this in a minute? Right. That's clunky. That's her defensiveness. Injury is completely different. And this is why. <laughs> having someone to work with individually like especially you as the betrayed partner so that you can help someone clarify the difference for you when cuz i get it i feel like sometimes you don't even know i don't even know it all feels like a big fat injury and so getting some of that one on one help can assist you in differentiating that but i think what what shows up i want to go through a couple of these ways that it can show up this weaponization one way that i see often is the false recovery there's probably a word for it, but where they say I am recovered, I'm trustworthy, I'm doing my therapy, I'm doing the groups, I'm doing all of these things. Can't you see that? And I see an emphasis on all their effort, like coming from the betrayer, like here's all the things that I'm doing to be a better person. You should trust me. But yeah, th- that's something that I see. I'm wondering
0: what you see in addition to that. So what's funny is my brain totally went a different direction because I was remembering something that was talked about in our supervision yesterday. (laughs) So I wasn't listening. (laughs) I mean, I was. But something you said triggered another thought and then my brain went somewhere else. And so tell me again, Amy, what you said, the beginning of that. Okay, so
1: one way that I see this show up is like false.
0: The checklist. Okay.
1: Yeah. False recovery, false reformation, however you
0: want to phrase it. Okay. And you can leave all that in. I don't even care because I'm human. Okay. Yes. So that the checklist, this is this is where my brain went. Is I was thinking about I had a client come in the other day and she was talking about working with some other therapists in the past. And she had said, I felt like there was more. I felt like there was more. Then there was a polygraph and he fails. And guess what? There was more. And then I felt like there was more and I felt like there was more and a professional was trying to talk her out of it. like, no, I think you're saying this and this. And I'm like, Mm -hmm. oh, Like I will never talk a client out of their experience because their gut and their intuition is going to be so much more aligned and aware than mine. Now, does that mean that... After trauma, we can't have false alarms going off. We definitely can. But as we're doing our work, if that is continuing, I have seen over and over and over and over again, how many women's and men really, when they're in a healthy place and getting and doing this work, how much their intuition really is spot on. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, when he goes, oh, here's a checklist. And then he's just trying to prove to you all the ways that he is better now. And and in my experience, the men who truly are recovering and getting better are not trying to convince it and shove it in their face of their partner.
1: Yes, and I think the weaponizing piece, this is why we're jealous on doing this episode, because there are so many nuances and ways that this can show up and not be weaponized. But what's coming to my mind that I feel like that little weaponizing piece is if they're trying to gain sympathy from you about themselves, like trying to get you to sympathize with them so that then they can manipulate you more. So I feel like it's this manipulation of emotions trying to get you to think differently or feel differently about them. Again, that's not relational. Relational is the betrayer saying, I can see that you don't still feel confident in my recovery and it makes sense why Um, I can only hold on to what I know I'm doing and continue to try and rebuild that trust rather than that convincing. And, but why don't you see and look at how hard I'm trying and you don't appreciate and you don't see that's not relational and that's not helpful. And I think that's where it can cross the line.
0: I, I love that you said that. And the weaponizing happens when we are trying to manipulate or control the other person or their experience or their feelings. Right. And so I, I think about EFT, Sue Johnson, as part of infidelity repair. She says we have three main stages and there is rupture, repair, and renew. And too often you have individuals, the person who has ruptured, who is trying to fast forward to the renew. And even you have therapists who are trying to fast forward to the renew. Mm -hmm. But first we have to make space and understand the rupture and understand the level of what the rupture looked like and how deep it went and where we're starting from.
1: And that's the safety and stabilization in the APSATS model that goes along with that, why we stay there.
0: Mm-hmm. Then we move into the repair and the repair is the, the majority of some of that heavy lifting work. Yeah. And too often, because the repair is hard and painful and we have to look at pieces and work through that pain, it's the surgery that's happening that we want to hurry and fast forward to, okay, I just Let's get to the renew where now we get to be really close and connected and happy and have this new relationship yeah, or healed relationship. But even that process of skipping over the repair and trying to jump to the renew, that can fall almost into the weaponizing recovery because they learn a couple tools and it's like, okay, good. I got these tools. Now I'm going to jump over here and let's work on renew and we're good. Like, can't yeah. we just like pass in the past? For sure.
1: Okay. I want to go on a couple of different ways that this might show up. We talked a little bit about emotional manipulation and how that can also be weaponized, where they think like personal vulnerabilities, how that shows up in their recovery work. So they might do this to, again, elicit sympathy and get you to support them. And that's how they get you into their control bubble, worrying about them. Again, this is so that the manipulation can still happen to get you to, whether that's to stay in the relationship or continue to ignore or not see the, the toxic behaviors that are showing up or abusive behaviors and communication that's showing up. And even the just, I was thinking like, I've seen this happen just on, I wouldn't say normal emotions, but yeah, the normal emotions that show up with betrayal. It's, for example, I'll speak to my own experience. You should be forgiving me by now, emotionally manipulating me into you should feel a certain way about my behavior by now. That's the reason why I'm not better and we're not better. That is definitely a way that that I experience and see happen a lot with weaponizing emotions. You Mm -hmm. shouldn't be angry. Why are you angry? I thought we've done all this work. Why are you still angry? You shouldn't be angry. Um, well, I'm
0: not right there. The minute somebody is telling you how to feel or how you are feeling, we have crossed a line. Yep. And that's something that I, I did not learn until later in my life and later in my marriage was that nobody gets to tell me how, much, how I feel. That's my own personal experience. And too often I grew up where my parents were telling me how I felt. And then my husband was telling me how I felt. And then I would take that on. Oh, oh, I guess I am feeling this. Or sometimes I get really mad and I'd be like, I am not feeling this. And then I would escalate more. And then I'm like, well, now I'm feeling this. But even once I really embraced and recognized that nobody gets to tell me how I feel, Now, when somebody goes, oh, you're feeling this, I can, instead of just taking that on, I can stop and go check with myself. Okay. Yeah, that actually is how I'm feeling. Or that's not quite how I'm feeling. And then if it's safe, emotionally safe, then I can share that with them. What's really happening. Yeah. It also,
1: I think when we were talking about this the other day, a term I heard was emotional blackmail. That's another way that this can show up where they withdraw, they guilt you, make you feel obligated in some way, shaming, criticizing, silent treatment, any of those terms, I think fall under that emotional blackmail. And that can also be a way of weaponizing their recovery.
0: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, one way that I see in couples is when the partner who has betrayed, is not consistent in their recovery work. And then when they are in a place that they are doing better and the betrayed partner feels safe to be vulnerable and shares a piece of information. And then when the person who has betrayed is no longer in a good place, they take that vulnerable sensitive information that was given to them and they pull it back up and they use it against them. And so that right there, I feel like is more damaging to the relationship. I'm looking for some kind of comparison. I'm just going to leave it at that. It is so much more damaging to the relationship because what that does is that signals to the brain of the betrayed partner, I cannot get vulnerable. Even if you feel safe right now, it may not be safe in the future and this will be used against me. Therefore, I cannot let my walls down. And I see that one happen. It's definitely not in all of my couples, but I see it happen more often than I would. Yeah,
1: I agree. That was my experience. And it took me a couple of years into my second marriage to stop (laughs) saying, to stop preempting my conversations with Scott and be like, you're not going to use this against me. Like, I'm going to, I want to share, but I don't want you to use this against me. I remember him saying at one point early on in our marriage, looked at me like almost offended, like, wait, what? Like, why are you why are you preempting the conversation with that? And well now, yeah, duh, makes sense. Because that was my
0: experience as well. It messes it, with me. The thing that's so hard about this conversation is I think if this is happening in a relationship. For the person who is doing it, the person who has betrayed and the person who's doing it, it is going to take a pretty dang high level of self-awareness to see it because the way our brains are wired is we have so many protectors that don't and blocks that don't show us this information because it's really painful. So I can see a wife being like, hey, so-and-so, can you please listen to this episode? And her hoping, like, I hope he just heard the last five minutes of what they just talked about, like that right there, I hope. And I could see them listening to it and being like, yeah, man, I'm glad I don't do that. Oh, so I just want to point out, especially when you're working with the person who's acted out or the addict, when you're working with that person, one of the hardest jobs of working with them is helping to break through the denial. and. That's something their partner can't make them do or help them do. That really is individual work that they have to do in a place that's really safe for them to explore this without judgment. And and unfortunately, that usually is not in the relationship at first. It's even that safety needs to be created. And, And so I just think about that if you're listening to this and you're hoping that your your husband or your partner will listen to this and he'll get it, it I think it definitely is okay to make a request of this is an area that I am seeing that I would like you to go do some more work on. But please don't expect instant, instant, I get it and now we're good. This, I feel like this, and maybe this is why this is so nuanced and complicated, is it is going to look so different and so unique per couple, and how much it's happening and whether it's intentional or not. There's there's just so many layers to this.
1: That well, of course, like almost every topic we we discuss. And so that's why I think we're so adamant about saying any information we share, utilize for you and your awareness and understanding because that is recovery, that is healing, is you staying in you know, your control bubble. And so absorbing this for you, seeing if it does resonate, because I do always like to err on the side of maybe this isn't for everybody and maybe this gets... This episode gets used inappropriately, like we mentioned before. And when you're going through something like this and you don't have a language, but you know something's happening, I just feel like if you pay attention to you and your body and it goes, oh, that's what it is. That's healing. Being able to give a language and a name to what's showing up in your body physiologically when cognitively you don't have that information. So yes utilize this for your own awareness and absorb this how you feel fits or not and if you are the betrayer same thing okay go into your body and if something is like hmm maybe you just take the whole list and you take that to your your therapist or your coach and you say you know what this is something that was talked about i would love to to know if this is showing up for me cuz i don't I don't think it is but can you help me um that right there is recovery that right there is accountability so i i don't i know we say this all the time and i think that it's so useful to remind all of you another another way that this shows up in terms of the betrayer weaponizing their recovery is playing the victim and i hear this one
0: a lot. I'd say um, this is probably the number one thing that I see.
1: I agree. And I think that this one was let me start with an experience, Lawn, and then you can just take this in the in other ways that this shows up. But for me, what was confusing around this was my experience when I was being told some disclosing information. That was very painful, very disturbing. It was quickly turned to previous abusive experiences that happened before we met. And then the focus was put on that as opposed to the abusive behavior and betraying behavior in the marriage So what happened was I then saw how he was victimized, felt sorry, and all of that focus and impact and injury was no longer relevant. I was told that it shouldn't be relevant. Relevant. Wow, I cannot talk today. And I didn't even have coffee but I was told that it wasn't relevant. And so then what that did was play on my emotions. And then there's the sympathy. There's the, you know what? All of my hurt and my injury doesn't matter. I'll shove that out the door and caretake. So that's how it showed up for me. I'm Mm -hmm. curious if you see that
0: show up any other ways too. Well, I just want to speak to that even more that yes, when there's been early trauma, of any type or early abuse of any type. I do see that when they start doing their recovery work and they start exploring that. And in your case, I'm guessing that wasn't actual work or exploring done, but when they do start exploring it and they do start looking at those wounds and making space and trying to heal them, I see that come up of almost a, I'm feeling this pain and don't you know how hard this is for me and so that starts getting weaponized against the betrayed partner of, well, my things are big and painful and, and they are, mm-hmm. but putting that on your partner and then using that to remove accountability or yes. using that to brush over what is actually happening relationally right now.
1: Or minimize or justify.
0: Mm-hmm. That's where now it's being weaponized. weaponized. And so you absolutely, the person who is working through that early trauma and the betrayer, all of that pain is real and valid. And working through that with a professional support person, absolutely. But making sure that then that does not supersede or minimize or justify any of what you're working on relationally in your marriage. Yeah. Yeah, I what thinking. I
1: see with clients and what I experience was that had to be the focus, so that I wasn't going to focus on the current behavior, acting out behavior. Yeah, and, and that's the difference there. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It wasn't to heal and understand why these behaviors are continuing and these compulsivities are happening. It was. I don't want to change that behavior. I want you to stop looking at that behavior. So look at this previous and feel sorry for me and
0: kind of like, give me a pass here.
1: Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. That's
0: how that weapon is weaponizing would show up. Yeah. You know, I have we done an episode about the Cartman triangle, the drama triangle? We did. Okay, so I'm going to just highlight going back to that one because it breaks down the persecutor, the victim and the rescuer roles. And I think about that victim role, that it is, it is very common to fall into that victim role, the person who has betrayed. And a victim, when someone's in the victim role, they're looking for a rescuer. They're looking for somebody to make them feel better or to take the responsibility. And, and again, these aren't conscious. I When I was going through my own betrayal, and I learned about the Cartman Triangle, I recognized so much of my thinking was in a victim role. And granted, I was a victim in this situation and I gave myself grace and time to work through the natural stuff that came up, but I didn't want to stay in a victim role. And so just, it comes up on both sides, but the question is, do we recognize when we're doing it and take the steps to get out of it for the betrayed partner, or are you trying to pull her into that cycle? So just recognizing that. So, yeah, well, I think.
1: What? Hold on. There's one more that I okay I think is really important because I literally just had this show up this past week with a client. It's that financial. I don't know what you want to call it, but it's the financial weaponizing. So, like, look at all the money that we're spending on therapy. Look at all the money that we're spending on this self-help, and threatening to discontinue all of it because of how much is being spent, using that as like, okay, so I'll just speak to this particular point. She started to feel guilty. She's being guilted into how much money they were spending in recovery work. Feeling guilty that even she was spending money in her recovery work. And that, it breaks my heart. But that's one way that I saw that show up recently.
0: That's a good one to recognize. And it's hard because I've been there working my own recovery and Luke working his recovery. It was not cheap. Now, it was probably still cheaper than had we gone through divorce. But it doesn't matter. It, it was very expensive. And when I started my journey, I wanted every dollar to go towards Luke because I was like, he's the one who's really broken and I don't wanna be hurt again, so fix him. And then I won't have to be hurt and we'll be okay. But I learned as I went along that my healing was just as important and I mattered and it was just as valuable to spend money on my healing. And, and the truth is recovery work to really dig in I didn't want just some Joe Schmo therapist off of my insurance who's never been trained in mitral trauma because I did see some who didn't get it. And that to me, that to me, caused more pain. Right. So it's a finding- hard
1: one, but it's also really important to watch for when you as the betrayed partner start to feel guilty or responsible financially for your recovery work when you did not cause this injury and you have a right to heal. I was, this was years ago. I had just started running some groups in the Worth program and there was a woman that showed up and I've never heard this since. Not to say that it hasn't happened, but I have not heard a woman say this since, but he had taken on an extra job. Mm-hmm. He had taken on an extra job in order to pay for the work and did not throw that in her face either. It, it was just something he went out and did. She didn't ask. And I was so, I really was impressed by that accountability and that responsibility. I could see how that helped her feel safety, trust, and even cared for when this kind of, of injury leaves you feeling st- so discarded and uncared for. And I've never forgotten that. Again, I'm sure maybe it happens. I've never heard a woman share that's happened before. But I was like, you know what? Because of that experience, it is possible. That is an option. And I think that, now don't go tell them to. <laughs> I mean, you can make the request, but I just think that's for the injury
0: that you caused rather than yeah. saying we can't afford it. Sorry. Yeah. No, I have a guy right now who is working more than one job yeah. uh, to try to make sure because for him, that is his way of being accountable. It's yeah. made this mess. I'm going to clean it up. I'm not going to ask you to go back to work or work more hours. Yeah. I am going to fix this. Yeah.
1: And it's forever thing. Right. I think it
0: says so, right.
1: mm-hmm. so, 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 so much. Anyways, that was one last way that I've seen this show up. So we can talk about, okay, so when you do see it show up, if this is something, again, going back to have your own awareness, trust your own gut. And I love what you said in the beginning of the session of just like really honoring your body and honoring the the responses, even if it's not maybe what is happening currently. I still always tell my clients to err on the side of trust the body first and then get curious. Because your body needs to know that you're not going to ignore it and and, um, dismiss it anymore. So I think it just is such a beautiful self-love, self-compassion to be like, oh my gosh, yeah, we're freaking out. I hear you. I see you. Tell me what's going on. So always, always defer to the body. If you do recognize that this might be happening to you, that this might be your experience, then some steps to consider, as always, safety. Is that phase one, safety first? That might look like boundaries. It might look like um, planning for safety if there is immediate danger happening.
0: We already talked about the recognizing the signs. Yeah. But figuring out for yourself as an individual of recognizing what those look like in your relationship and look for patterns. We say that a lot, but really look for what patterns are happening over time. That's where I'm really focused on as a professional. And then like you're listening to this podcast right now, educate yourself, educate yourself to really know and understand what this looks like, what abuse patterns look like, what it looks like, what it feels like. And then like you said, trusting your feelings, listening to your body. We already talked about seeking support, getting people outside of yourself to do that creating the boundaries. We have the boundaries episodes. So go back to those. If you need help with boundaries, everyone needs help with boundaries. So be really patient with yourself on that.
1: Mm -hmm. And remember the I statements when you're, even when you're expressing this, just remember the I statements that just might be like, I've noticed that in certain situations, I feel pressure or feel guilty. And I'd like to discuss, you know, how we can better whatever. Just keep that in your sphere. That can really help the conversations.
0: I really like that. And I, and the thought that went through my head is to get to the place of really being able to own those I statements is we have to have some sense of clarity. But these patterns, if recovery is being used against you, a lot of times you don't have clarity. A lot of times you're confused and it feels like a big jumbled mess. And sometimes it's hard to know which way is up or down or left or right. And I'll just tell you, when I have a client who has a lot of confusion, we either are earlier in our journey and we just need to do a lot of grounding and stabilization, like go see like three or four episodes back on that. It's, we're either in that place or there's continual things that are happening today that is spinning your reality. And so as soon as somebody tells me that they're really confused, especially if they feel like they have some sense of clarity and then they go in a conversation and they come out more confused, that's a really big flag waving at me of, we better dive in here and look to see if we have any type of abuse patterns. And the reality is weaponizing recovery definitely errs more on the abusive side. Okay. And it could be full out abuse. I'm not I'm not going to give it a label. I'm not going to stumble a label on that. But really big flags waving of we need to dive deeper and understand this more. Yeah. Yeah.
1: If you feel confused, even right now, <laughs> I love what you said there. And I think just getting grounded and coming back to yourself because you have the right to be wrong. We can't. Start sifting through all of the muck unless we start seeing how it's actually showing up in us. And that can feel icky. It can feel heavy. It can feel like, oh, I don't even want to go there. So reach out to a professional so that you can be guided through that and slow all of that down to sort through these different pieces that might feel very confusing. So I love that you said that. I just want to validate this is. This is hard. And again, we're talking to all different stages. All of you who are in different stages of the journey. As always, just take this if you need it. And if not, you can
0: put it aside and
1: come back and revisit.
0: Yeah. Wow. I feel like it's a little bit heavier of an episode today. And so I ending it on a bumbly note almost feels a little inappropriate. And So if you're feeling that heaviness and if you're noticing stuff come up, my recommendation is just remembering that gentleness with yourself, that self-compassion. Self-awareness is so healthy and sometimes it can be painful. Awareness of what's happening within ourselves or awareness of what's happening relationally can be really uncomfortable. So really gentle with yourself. And if this applied, I'm sorry. I'm sorry that you're going through this. I'm sorry you're dealing with this. If you are a partner who has betrayed their spouse and you're hearing this and you're recognizing things in yourself, thank you. Thank you for listening to this. Thank you for being open and trying to understand so you can help your partner heal. Thank you for facing these brave, hard, difficult things because there's a lot of people who aren't willing to try even. So thank you. With all that being said, thank you for joining Amy and I for our conversation this week, and we look forward to seeing you all next week.
1: Be sure to head over to the show notes to find out any of our upcoming webinars, groups, or new resources that might help you in your healing journey, or head over to chooserecoveryservices.com. We at Choose Recovery are here to help you continue to choose healing. Choose recovery and choose you. Take care, everybody.